What diet should I go on? Have your patients ever asked you this? As with most questions about nutrition, the answer truly depends. It depends on your patient's weight, their goals, their lifestyle, activity level, current and past medical conditions, medications, preferences, and culture. There are thousands of different diets available, all touting different health benefits from weight loss to cholesterol management to improving focus and cognition. Navigating the sea of diets can feel a little overwhelming, to say the least. So for today's episode, I'll review the most common dietary approaches for weight loss and help you determine which one would be appropriate for the patient sitting right in front of you. But spoiler alert, no single diet has been consistently proven to be better than another. Research consistently shows that while a particular diet may result in weight loss for one person, it may not be effective for another person due to individual differences in genes and lifestyle. For those seeking the perfect one-size-fits-all diet, sadly, there isn't one. But don't worry, my friend. After today's episode, you'll be able to confidently determine which diet approach would work for your patient. You're listening to the Exam Room Nutrition Podcast mini-series called A Provider's Guide to Helping Patients Lose Weight. I'm your host, Colleen Sloan. I'm an RD turned PA, and my goal is to give you the nutrition education you never had in school to help you be a more confident, compassionate clinician. This is part five of a 10-part series, and last episode, we discussed what the three macronutrients are, and you learned how to calculate them for your patient step-by-step. If you would like my notes on this series, I have created a companion PDF for you that summarizes each and every episode. You can find that for free at examroomnutrition.com slash weight loss. That's examroomnutrition.com slash weight loss. When considering the different diets, think of them like tools. A number of diet approaches might yield the same results. However, the one that the patient feels most comfortable with is ultimately up to the patient. The patient should choose which style fits them the best. There are some details that you and your patient should consider, however. Cost, sustainability, preference, and lifestyle. So would your patient benefit from a meal plan that tells them exactly what to eat, how much, and when? This might be good for a type A person who likes to log their information, you know, people who need more structure. However, meal plans can be very restrictive and can be difficult if someone is eating out often. This is, however, good in the beginning for learning principles and helping patients have some food boundaries. Maybe your patient would do better with a macronutrient approach, which looks at specific calorie, protein, carb, and fat target ranges for the day. I discussed this in detail in the last episode. If you didn't catch that one, make sure to go back and listen to it after today's episode. I'll link to it down in the show notes. Maybe your patient is a visual learner and they would do well following the plate method. This method teaches the patient to balance food groups and proportions. It generally follows the guideline of making half of their plate fruits and vegetables and the other half is divided in half horizontally, making one quarter whole grains and the other quarter lean protein. Keep in mind, this approach needs to be adjusted for activity levels. Now, a simple way to determine what approach clicks for the patient would be just to ask them, do you prefer a set diet to follow, listing exactly what you can and cannot eat, or would you rather have guidelines that give you some flexibility? Or you can always ask them, what have you tried in the past and were successful with? Once you determine the method that your patient prefers, 
Now you can consider the variety of different diets, still keeping in mind their medical conditions like hypertension, diabetes, kidney disease, and general outcomes you are both looking to achieve. I like to think about the different dietary approach options in three different buckets. One bucket for the macronutrient-based, the other for pattern-based, and lastly, calorie-restricted diets. As we go through each of these types, I'll list some common diets that fall within that category and briefly review the most popular ones. So first up is the macronutrient-based. This follows the 2020-2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, which I reviewed in detail in the last episode of this series. But as a review, it says that 45-65% to of calories should come from carbohydrates, 20-35% to from fats, and 10-35% to from protein. In this meal pattern, no food groups are excluded. Now, some other examples of macronutrient-based diets include carbohydrate-limiting and fat-limiting. So carbohydrate-limiting diets reduce dietary carbs to limit insulin released from the pancreas. A well-known example of this is the Atkins diet, which is a low-carb, high-protein approach that focuses on portion control rather than restricted calories. This was first introduced by Dr. Robert Atkins in 1972 through his book, Dr. Atkins' Diet Revolution, The High-Calorie Way to Stay Thin Forever. The diet gained widespread popularity in 2003 and 2004, and at the height of its popularity, 1 in 11 North American adults claimed to be on a low-carb diet such as the Atkins diet. A new kid on the block has emerged and now is a widely popular choice for weight loss over the last several years. The ketogenic diet, or keto diet, is sort of the new Atkins diet. Now, I want to spend some time discussing this one because of its popularity. Originally used as a treatment for children with epilepsy, the keto diet has actually been around for decades and only recently has gained considerable attention as a potential weight loss strategy. Now, at this time, there isn't one standard ketogenic diet with a specific ratio of macronutrients, but in general terms, the ketogenic diet reduces total carbohydrate intake to less than 50 grams a day. In case you were wondering, that's less than the amount found in a medium plain bagel. And sometimes it can be as low as 20 grams a day. Popular ketogenic guidelines suggest an average of 70 to 80% of calories come from fat, 5 to 10% carbohydrate, and 10 to 20% protein. So for a 2,000 calorie diet, this translates to about 165 grams of fat, 40 grams of carbohydrate, and 75 grams of protein. Now, it's important to note that some side effects of the keto diet can include constipation, hypoglycemia, hypercholesterolemia, osteoporosis, kidney stones, gout, and pancreatitis. Now, bottom line, the available research on the ketogenic diet for weight loss is still limited. Most of the studies so far have had a small number of participants. They were short-term, meaning less than 12 weeks, and did not include control groups. With that being said, a ketogenic diet has been shown to provide short-term benefits in some people, including weight loss and improvements in total cholesterol, blood sugar, and blood pressure. However, these effects after one year, when compared with the effects of conventional weight loss diets, are not significantly different. Other low-carb diets you should know include the Paleo, South Beach, the Zone, and the Ducan diets. They're all high in protein but moderate in fat. The final type of diet that falls into the macronutrient bucket is fat limiting, often referred to as high-carb, low-fat diets, where total fat intake is limited to roughly 20 grams per day. Good examples of this are the Ornish diet and the Learn diet. Now, as with any diet approach, there are pros and cons. The pros for macronutrient-based diets are that patients can have successful weight loss, decreased triglycerides, 
blood pressure, insulin levels, and increase in HDL. However, these style diets may be hard to adhere to long-term. In a study on 106 people with obesity who were prescribed either a low-fat or a low-carbohydrate diet for weight loss, the reductions in weight were comparable between the two groups. But those people on the low-carb diet were miserable. Some people experienced irritability and brain fog. So your patient might be losing weight, but at what cost? Have they turned into a grumpy bear coming out of hibernation? Again, this is where helping your patient determine their goals beyond weight is so important. All right, let's move on to our next bucket, the pattern-based diets. These are based on overall eating patterns, and foods are not labeled as good or bad, and moderation and portion sizes are key. Some well-known examples of this include the DASH diet, the Mediterranean diet, the portfolio diet, and the MIND diet. Now, I want to review this one briefly, as this is quickly becoming the popular new kid on the block. MIND stands for the Mediterranean Dash Diet Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay. As the name suggests, this combines the DASH and Mediterranean diet to target the health of the aging brain. The MIND diet recommends specific brain-healthy foods to include and five unhealthy food items to limit. The healthy items the MIND diet guidelines suggest include three or more servings a day of whole grains, one or more servings a day of vegetables other than green leafy vegetables, six servings a week of green leafy vegetables, five or more servings a week of nuts, four or more meals a week with beans, two or more servings a week of berries, two or more meals a week of poultry, one or more meal a week of fish, and mainly olive oil is used if added fat is needed. The unhealthy items which are higher in saturated fat and trans fat that should be limited include less than five servings a week of pastries and sweets, less than four servings a week of red meat, including beef, pork, lamb, and products made from these meats, less than one serving a week of cheese and fried foods, and less than one tablespoon a day of butter or stick margarine. Now, many scientific organizations encourage adults to adopt this style of plant-forward eating to prevent major chronic diseases and reduce all-cause mortality. Studies have shown that following these dietary patterns decrease the risk of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, it lowers blood pressure, cholesterol levels, A1C, all-cause mortality, and can lead to weight loss. However, the weight loss is not as rapid or significant as seen with other dietary approaches. All right, our final bucket for the diet options is calorie-restricted. As the name suggests, the focus is on calories with a minimum calorie intake of 1,200 to 1,800 per day to avoid the body's starvation response. Now, debates are ongoing whether calories or hormones affect the ability to lose weight more? The answer is, it's both. Certain endocrine disorders do make it harder to lose weight. However, in order to lose fat mass, an individual needs to be in a calorie deficit and be choosing high-quality foods. This can easily be understood when it comes to fat. We've learned that fat isn't all bad, but we need to be focusing on the right type of fat that promotes heart health. Now, the same can be true for carbohydrates as well. So it's important for you not to label foods as good or bad and teach your patients which ones are high-quality foods. It is difficult to predict the amount of weight reduction from a given calorie deficit as weight loss typically comes from losing a mix of fat, lean muscle mass, and water. As explained in the last episode in this series, when following a strict calorie plan, the total amount of weight loss may be slower than predicted, which can lead your patient to feel very frustrated. A very popular example of this style of eating is intermittent fasting, which I want to linger here a little bit and provide you with some information. 
Intermittent fasting is a diet plan where you alternate between short periods of fasting, where you either eat very little or nothing at all, and periods of regular eating. Now, there are a few flavors of intermittent fasting to consider. You've got alternate day fasting, whole day fasting, or time-restricted fasting, where your eating window depends on the style you choose. While intermittent fasting has been linked to fat loss and improvements in blood pressure and cholesterol levels, the research isn't crystal clear on all of its benefits. Plus, studies haven't consistently shown that intermittent fasting is any better than traditional low-calorie diets for weight loss. However, if your patient is someone who naturally eats one or two meals a day, or they tend to graze throughout the day, intermittent fasting might be worth a shot. It could help them establish a more structured eating pattern and curb those late-night munchies. To fully understand intermittent fasting's effect and whether it's a sustainable weight loss solution, we still need more high-quality studies, including long-term trials. And it's not for everyone. Prolonged periods of food deprivation or semi-starvation places individuals at risk for overeating when food is reintroduced, and it may foster unhealthy behaviors such as an increased fixation on food or binge eating. Now, I would never recommend it for patients with diabetes, eating disorders, those on certain medications, growing adolescents, or expectant or nursing mothers. Another style that fits into the calorie-restricted bucket is a diet that focuses on meal replacement shakes. This can be flexible, but in general, one or all meals is replaced by a protein shake that contains varying amounts of calories, carbs, protein, and fats. As you can see, selecting a diet is not as easy as it sounds. I know it feels like there are so many options when it comes to choosing a diet for your patient. And that's because there are. But hopefully this review helped you compartmentalize the different approaches and now you can present some feasible options to your patient. Taking an individualized approach to weight loss is essential. So the next time your patient asks you to put them on a diet, take a step back, explain a few diet options, and allow your patient to choose a dietary pattern that aligns with their preferences, lifestyle, and medical needs. This gives them a greater sense of ownership over their health journey. As healthcare providers, it's our duty to guide and support our patients in making informed decisions that work best for them, ultimately paving the way for sustainable and successful outcomes that align with their goals. In the final segment of today's episode, I'm excited to share the results from the U.S. News Review of the Best Diets of 2024, which was unveiled on January 1st. For over a decade, a distinguished panel of 43 experts comprising of doctors, registered dietitians, and epidemiologists has helped U.S. News & World Report evaluate and rank 30 of the most popular diets. Their aim is to equip individuals with the knowledge needed to make informed decisions about their dietary choices, steering them towards safe, sustainable options while cautioning against those that may be less beneficial. Each diet plan was assessed for factors such as nutritional completeness, potential health risks and benefits, long-term viability, and evidence-based efficacy. They also considered each diet's strengths and weaknesses and the specific goals each diet might be most effective at addressing. Securing the top spot for an impressive seventh consecutive year is, drumroll please, the Mediterranean diet. Praised for its exceptional overall diet quality, absence of restrictive measures, and enduring sustainability, it continues to reign supreme. Following closely behind are the DASH diet and the MIND diet, both touted for their plant-forward approach and health benefits. 
the best diets for fast weight loss were the keto diet and Atkins diet. However, interestingly, the keto diet ranked 25 out of 30 in the general category because of its highly restrictive nature, strict rules, challenges in dining out, and potential for micronutrient deficiencies. The least favorable diets were the raw food diet, Herbalife Nutrition, and the Ducan diet. Their restrictive nature or reliance on processed shakes and bars were deemed unsuitable for promoting sustainable, lifelong eating habits. Not to mention their shakes and supplements add a costly burden for patients. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a ton of helpful resources in addition to the U.S. News Full Report. There you can search for a specific diet that maybe I didn't have time to cover today. Well, my friend, I hope you have a better understanding of the different diet options and how to help your patient choose the one that might be a good fit for them. Next week, we'll discuss how to set appropriate goals using a tactic that goes beyond setting SMART goals. You know, the acronym you probably learned in school. We'll also understand why most New Year's resolutions fail and how you can help your patient understand and focus on their priorities. All right, see you next week. As a quick reminder, if you would like my notes on this series, I have created a companion PDF for you that summarizes each and every episode. You can find that for free at examroomnutrition.com slash weight loss. That's examroomnutrition.com slash weight loss.